Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this week's episode of My First Sketch. Here at MyFirstSketch.com, I'm Josh Hyam. As always, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. You can email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Josh High False. Thanks to everyone who came out to Dirtiest Sketch in Philadelphia. Congrats to the winner who just so happens to be today's guest. Jack O'Keefe, who is also currently the sketch producer at Philly Improv Theater. His first sketch is called Pimp Your Tent, a parody of Exhibit's old MTV show, Pimp My Ride. Jack wrote this as a campfire skit during his time in the Boy Scouts. Jack plays the host of the show and gives visual cues. Don Montre plays various shop employees. And I play Kyle, the unenthusiastic owner of the tent. So let's go to the sketch. Yo, dogs, and welcome to the conclusion of this new episode of Pimp Your Tent. Today's tent belongs to Kyle, who wanted to stop having a boring tent so he can start having an exciting life. Come on out here, Kyle. Give him a round of applause. You ready to see your new tent? You excited? Not really. I thought it was a good tent. Well, let's take a look at your new tent. Uh, exhibits assistants remove the sheet revealing the tent. It looks exactly the same. That is what we want people to think. Let me have our general exteriorator tell you why it's nothing like your old tent. So we heard you like the color green. So we put green on your green so you can be environmental while being environmental. Whoa. I don't like green. We also heard you like water. So we put a hole in it. Why would you do that? Now let's go to our main man, Nate, to talk about how we souped up your engine. We put a one-power horse engine in this thing. It goes as fast as you can push it. It can go zero to 60 in never seconds. Do I really need an engine? And that's not all. Tell them, Nate. Hydraulics. Uh, An assistant stands behind the tent and shakes it up and down. Everyone but Kyle fucking loses it. You're welcome. I don't want this. Well, next, let's throw it over to Matt, who will tell you what you'll be rolling on. Well, this tent is going nowhere. This tent has got 24-inch stakes. Then why does it have an engine? That's not all. Check these babies out. Uh, Matt kneels over and starts turning the tent stakes. It's got spinners. Now that we got that done, let's take a look inside. Yo, we heard you like camping, so we put a tent in your tent so you can camp while you camp. Also a recording studio. What? From Ikea. Some assembly required. Thanks, Matt. So, Kyle, how do you like your new tent? Not really. Well, that's okay because we got one more surprise. We got a high-definition 56-inch TV under your tent. I hate you. See y'all next time for more Pimp Your Tent. Hey, Jack. Hey. So, Boy Scout skit. Yes. Uh, I mean, true title, uh, Pimp Your Tent. Pimp Your Tent. And the world of Boy... You were just telling me that you were also I a, was Boy a Boy Scout. Scout yes. So, you know the world of Boy Scout skits. Yes. Uh, like, my first experience with anything performing, anything trying to be funny, was either at Boy Scout camp or at church camp. Yeah. Um, so, and it's a, it's a bizarre... Camp skits are such a weird thing because it's almost like 
old tall tales that are passed down. Yeah. Like so many, you can go online and just look up like Boy Scout skits. Yes. And it's all these skits that were written like 60 years ago that like aren't even jokes. Mm-mm. Like the reliance of humor is on like the idea that it's funny. <laughs> or that it's supposed to be funny. And like, I think part of it is just like you're tired at the end of the day around a campfire. Mm-hmm. For some reason, we have to entertain you more. Like. It's it's like if you went to a sketch comedy show and every single sketch was just, I think there's something here. <laughs> and then they did not go past that in developing the joke. One of my big memories of my experiences as, you know, going to Boy Scout camp and doing stuff was one year I was the camper uh, and they were doing If I Were Not a Boy Scout. Do you know that song? No. It was just like, if I were not a Boy Scout, some blah, 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 I would be. And then they, they would pick a different op- occupation, which was supposed to be worse than being a Boy Scout. Okay. And the one guy was the Tidy Bowl Man, which was... A, what is that? A t- it's a, tidy Bowl Man was a mascot for a toilet cleaning product. Okay. And way before I was a Boy Scout. Okay. So, like... <laughs> So I didn't know what Tidy Bowl Man was, right. but the idea of a dude with a plunger just going, please don't flush the toilet, please don't flush the toilet, was hilarious to me. So I did it for my troop, like a couple months later or something, uh-huh. we did that same sketch, we did that same song, and I did the, to- the Tidy Bowl Man, because it was so funny to me, it has to be funny to these yeah. people, and it was it like fart in church, no one, like, I didn't know what Tidy Bowl Man, why would I <laughs> why think would they? Why would my they? other... Scouts would know. Well, like, you sell it. That's the thing. That's the thing I always notice about Boy Scout sits is skits is that it was just these you know dead teenagers who would rather be like either shooting arrows or shotguns like little sociopaths, or it would rather be like making baskets, yeah, or like, like starting campfires. It's it's the weirdest thing. Like we don't need to be entered. Like just yeah. Let us I was always I was a very theatrical youth. I loved performing. I loved making people laugh from a very early age. And so, like, when it, like, skits were the thing I was good at. Like, I was okay at rowing a boat. Like, I couldn't fish very well. I was always, like, kind of, like, a l- just enough out but of But the campfire skit the was your time skit. to shine. Well, I would go to these summer camps every summer. And at the end, there'd be, like, a big ceremony. Yep. And they would have, like, all the troops... Mm-hmm. do their skits and i would be like i got it and we would always like do these skits that were like universal we we went one time and ha- were planning a skit and then saw another troop do it right like that's how close this circle is and so at a certain point i was like i'll write one okay because i was interested in writing i would write like silly little stories my whole life and i figured okay i'll just like put pencil to paper because that and then and that's exactly the same for me mm-hmm. except that i wrote mine to go to church camp okay. with instead of boy scouts because I, by that point i had already quit boy scouts because right i was tired of it um where i was like we're basically doing the same skits all the time i want it like mm-hmm. and the idea you know that was a time where a lot of us had started watching whose lines anyway yeah and like we were starting to learn comedy and like learn what was good comedy so i was like i'll try it myself mm-hmm. i wrote this very long uh, rip off of the delicious dish from Saturday Night Live oh, sketches. Great. Um, so yeah, like all right. So what you mentioned being theatrical, like what were you into as a kid? What was your comedy so upbringing? My first 
man i mean comedy was always a part of my life my dad because yeah, i've talked to your da- your dad yeah. was actually the first guest on the pilot episode of this podcast yeah. because he volunteered he's like he volunteered to do it but he's like i have to get out before this point i was like all right you're going first yeah <laughs> you're my trial yeah. like which was great and i wish that he didn't have to leave because i would i could have kept talking to him for yeah a while. oh he's a very very smart man yeah uh all right uh yeah i mean my dad raised me on comedy because he was raised on comedy <laughs> Uh, he, you know, showed me Monty Python from a very early age. Did you get it? I think so. Like, I got that, like, I didn't get all the layers of it. Right. But I was like, oh, that's not a thing that really happens. Mm. And, you know, it's goofy and wild. Uh, I didn't really get into Saturday Night Live until, like, high school. But Which I think honestly, is reasonable. I was revisiting something. And you know what I think I realized my first early comedic influences Veggie Tales. Okay, we so can, we can go there. Let's go there. <laughs> so for people who aren't aware, Veggie Tales is a old CGI cartoon from like the early '90s that is like a Christian themed. Like they'll tell it's, a it is a Christian. They'll tell themed, a like a yeah. biblical. They'll tell a uh, like a par- not a parable, it, but like a morality story that's like wholly original, dealing with. The theme of the episode, or yeah, for the first couple were actual, honest to goodness, Bible stories, yeah, then, and then they had Bible stories, and then they start doing more morality, more fictional. Yeah. They would have like adaptations of Bible stories. Josh and Big Wall is a big one. Uh, I I, I have remember distinct memory of um, uh, the Bunny Factory, the Chocolate Bunny mm-hmm. Factory, which I for I don't uh, know what the Bible story was. It's uh, David and the the. The, um, like people in the fire and they don't burn or something. Daniel, 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 Daniel. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> but I remember like this, you know, big pickle man, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar or whatever, yep. would sing about the fact that he ate the chocolate bunny he wasn't supposed to eat. And I was like, this is funny. And between between the stories in every episode, they'd have a silly song. Silly song, yes. Uh, and I was rewatching. Oh, where's my hairbrush? Uh, everybody's got a water buffalo, and they're not song even. Song of the my cheeseburger. Yeah. And none of these are really jokes. It's the same thing as like a skit almost. It's it's it's, it's a silly song for children. Exactly, like yeah. Like I don't want to say raffy, but right. It's but I think I was thinking back recently and I think that was a huge influence on like the start of my comedy in terms of like I don't know, I guess like going back now I try to put more depth to my comedy. Mhm. And thinking back, I was like, oh, that's what VeggieTales was doing. <laughs> I'm doing VeggieTales for atheist adults. Yeah, because I was, you know, I was, I was a very religious kid, so mm-hmm. VeggieTales was a big part of my childhood. Yeah. Well, like, childhood, um, whenever it started. Uh, but I, re- I distinctly remembered that, like, they got coverage in Time Magazine. Yeah. Because Josh and the Big Wall is full of Monty Python references. Yeah. If you, if oh, you yeah. It. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like, the French the Frenchman over are, the wall, a sh- yeah. are a straight ripoff mm-hmm. of... Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Um, wow, that's no one's brought that up yet. Which I I thought someone else. Well, that was a very early. It's a, it's a very surprising answer that I wasn't expecting, yeah. but I'm very happy about. Like, I mean, I was thinking like it's the absolute earliest thing. Like once I got to high school, then I started, you know, watching a lot of these new like internet sketch groups. Uh, yeah. I loved um, Derek Comedy, which mm. looking back, very problematic. A lot of <laughs> a lot of sketches that are like, oh no, Donald, you were still in college at the time. Thank God, nothing I made in college is available uh, on the internet. And I know, like, they got some um, press recently because uh, Ellie Kemper 
was in there, one of their earliest ones. There's a sketch ones. that she did, yeah. and she's like, oh, I would not, like, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I'm, I I completely disavow any yeah. well, involvement. I, yeah. And because they all went to, I think, NYU or whatever. Yeah, yeah they were NYU kids mm-hmm. that went to UCB. And I watched a lot of Britannic. I loved by Britannic. Which I, I have no experience with. I, I've Dive into the, their stuff. I've it's heard the, the name, but... They're a very... Um, I would, they have some stuff that is very theatrical. Um, and I always opt for more theatrical tone in comedy for the most part. Uh, but they have some really fascinating stuff. I like them. I found them very early. Uh, I loved Cracked in mm-hmm. high school. Like that whole squad of like uh, Michael Swaim, Daniel O'Brien. Uh, they were part of the sketch team called like those aren't muskets or something. They would okay. have like okay sketches, like pretty solid, funny stuff. Uh, and just whatever I could find online that was funny and like a little off kilter. Mm-hmm. But like you, you were growing up in the, the online age already because yes. you are a bit younger than I am. Yeah. And the idea that the internet became just this huge uh, ground for possibility. Like mm-hmm. you didn't need to, go to a theater you didn't need no. to do anything it was all you could just right shoot it if you had a camera and just put it up and something could happen which i never really did the closest i did to that was for my senior project in high school i made a short film and it was like really shitty i made it on a flip cam with no professional like microphone equipment and just to show how stupid i was my uh my one of my arch rivals i did some severe quotes there because I love painting a narrative for myself where I have arch rivals. Uh, like, it was this rich kid who, like, rented a film crew <laughs> for his Jeez. senior project. Yeah, like, professional sound, like, a really nice camera, which, like, I remember seeing and being, like, so, like, fuck you. <laughs> like, why am I the asshole for being this, like, middle class, lower middle class kid who's just trying to do his best and tell a story? <laughs> you know? That's awful. I would have hated that kid too. Oh, he's a fucking. He's like working in television production in Chicago. I hope he, I hope none of his fucking pilots get picked up. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you mentioned getting into Saturday Night Live as in teenage years, mm-hmm. high school. Who would have been your favorite cast member all time? God, Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Okay. Hundo P. Bill Hader. What like what is it about him that I think? I mean just how fully he would give himself to every character, which I think is especially apparent if you watch documentary now. Right. Because a lot of those, he's not giving a comedic performance. No. He's just giving an amazing performance. It's, yeah. It's, it, I mean, documentary now is funny, but mm-hmm. they're not playing to the joke. Exactly. They're not playing to be funny. They're playing to be like straight up spoofs of... Yeah. The documentary. Of, of the actual documentary, but not playing with the tone of it exactly um they're working within the tone and finding what's funny which there. is just craziness like it's brilliant i i love it i um, love that show so much it's yeah and uh, i think bill Hader is like a person i just really connect to because i mean he was discovered because he was in a sketch group with megan Mullally's like brother yeah they, they did a show like in her backyard or yeah. something and in someone's backyard and megan Mullally was there and she was like, you got to check this guy out. You know, just he just wasn't this. He got extremely lucky. Yeah. But worked extremely hard to be good enough that when the opportunity showed itself, it was But there. then again, like, I think that because as I, I started doing this idea of like, 
I, I wanted to find the first appearance of a lot of people on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And his, it wasn't his first appearance, but on his first episode, he did a sketch that makes me laugh so hard. Mm-hmm. Al Pacino checks his bank balance. Oh, I'm sure. I, I don't even need to know anything about it. I'm it's, on board. He's on the phone calling Wells Fargo, and Kristen Wiig is the um, the, cups, the, the rep. Mm-hmm. And he's like, balance. <laughs> and like he, his Pacino's great. <laughs> Uh, balance. And he's like, how much is my check-in? Uh, $40. All right. How much is my savings? $7 million. <laughs> Put 40 from my savings into my check-in. And then he's like, how much do you buy those astronaut beds? And like, it's just this bizarre, like weird Al Pacino, mm-hmm. but it's just so brilliant. So like fun. One of my uh, favorite sketches they've ever done was a, you're a rat bastard, Charlie Brown. <laughs> I love that so much. Based a, on Bill Hader's performance, and B, because I... So going back to the, me being like a theatrical kid, I went to college for theater. Okay. Where did you get? Where, where? Uh, Clearing University, middle of nowhere, western and, Pennsylvania. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Where, I, I know people that went through Clearing. Uh, I went because it was the cheapest school that had a degree in acting. Oh. And I started getting more creative and desperately wanted to be taken seriously <laughs> because I was always like the funny kid. As act, but as actors do in college, you yeah. want to be serious. You want to be. And I directed a show called Dog Sees God: Confessions of a Teenage Blockhead, which okay. I did not write. Thank I was God. Say, I, I, I think I've heard of that. Like it's like a gritty high schooler version of Charlie Brown, right? Like Charlie Brown's older and depressed, and Snoopy had to be put down. Lucy was like an arsonist. And I, being so young, thought it was, like, the fucking coolest thing. Like, oh, this dude gets it. I'm 19 (laughs) years old, and I am edgy. And I would do stuff like that and try to be taken so seriously. And then graduating college, trying to work within theater and finding that there wasn't really a place for me Mm -hmm. as far as, like, professionals or, like, anyone who, like, looked at me and, like, wouldn't look at me as a creative. Right. Uh, and then I came into comedy and I could find people who respected me for being able to be funny, mm-hmm. which I was never able to do before. I always used humor as a way to get people to tolerate me, <laughs> to like sneak my way in. But then I found a world where people would respect you if you could be really funny and inventive. Mm-hmm. So I have to, so I could stop wasting my time <laughs> with these super dramatic overwrought projects. Which is all you do in, in college theater for oh, the yeah. most part. I wrote, I haven't written a play since college, but like the plays I did write were like super like, oh, the world's coming to an end and nothing matters. And yeah. here's a play about someone making a deal with Satan for their soul so they could be talented. And like, yeah, it's all very nihilism. And oh like, my God, yeah. Like I figured out the world and nobody else knows. No one figured it out. They're all pretending. <laughs> um, so... How, all right, so you're a theater major. Mm-hmm. How do you get back to the Philadelphia area and get into fit? So my parents, when I was in college, we used to live in Lancaster. Okay. At Lancaster County, a small town of Lidditz, where I first performed that Boy Scout skit at the Lidditz Boy Scout Jamboree, 2009. The only thing, Lidditz has a 
pretzel place, right? Yeah. Like there's a, they a were reputation pretzel. for be like a very popular, was like a, small town destination, uh, a field trip of mine yeah. in like fourth or fifth grade. It's a great place to go to once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, there's a different story, uh, which I could, that's a whole nother podcast I'll do on my own sometime. Or just talk to me about it at a bar. I'm always <laughs> willing to talk about that town. So tell me what lit is. <laughs> when, when, you, when you see Jack O'Keefe out there, just be like, hey, Lidditz, like, let's go. Lidditz, let's go. Talk to me. So I got to Clarion. Uh, I think we had considered me going to Temple very, very briefly. But it is a little pricier. I was going to say, Clarion's definitely going to be cheaper. Oh, my God. So Temple much is. cheaper. I, I mean, I'm still working on debt, but I already see much lower numbers yeah. than a lot of people, which is fantastic. So I go out because I want to be theatrical. I want to be an actor. I grow, I develop, I make all my mistakes that I'm happy no one in Philadelphia knows about. Uh, I always shudder a little bit when I... Well, fine video. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I always shudder a little bit when I hear that someone I went to college with is in Philadelphia. Cause I'm like, oh, no, they know. <laughs> they know I'm a garbage person and they're going to tell everybody. So halfway through college, my family moves to Philadelphia um, okay. because my dad has a job out here. And so I start coming back between breaks, between junior and senior year, take an improv class. And I'm like, eh, this was all right. Improv 101, okay, whatever. Finish up college, come back. And I've got two internships lined up. One with Playpen New, Devel- New Play Development and one with Interact Theater Company. Okay. So, like, I'm set. I think this is how you do it. This is how a theater kid makes it. Yeah. Internships, they grind, they work. But it slowly became apparent to me that... What people envisioned for me when they saw me in theater was like production. Like they wanted me to like be stage manager or help build sets. Yeah. And there really wasn't a way for me to prove that I was talented because I had, I had to believe that I was Mm -hmm. because if not, I spent four years really wasting my goddamn time if I didn't have the talent to back it up. Um, and when I was interning, I started doing stuff again at Fit because I was like, "Oh, I didn't really like improv. I'll I'll try a sketch class." Did you do you did that those one on ones and like mm-hmm. in between with Fit? Yeah. So all right, so let's go through the progression. So one on one was with uh, Ralph and Dracchio. Okay. And then I came back to Philly and I did sketch one on one with Joe Moore. Okay. And then there they weren't offering a sketch two hundred one at the time. Yeah, two hundred one is few and far between. Yeah, uh, which is changing. That's a, that's a, that is a uh, my first sketch exclusive scoop. All right, uh, it's changing somehow. Uh, hope- hopefully more. Well, I mean, obviously, because if you're doing four sketch one hundred ones in a yeah. semester, you have to have somewhere to go. The next level. So, I then got back into an improv class, which I ended up loving, taught by Jess Snow. That was two. Uh, that was 201. And then, like, finished the improv curriculum while waiting for two. Or I, I think I took 201 soon after with Paul Trigiani. All right. And, uh, and then I, let's keep going. Uh, improv 3 was. Improv 301 with Nick Gillette. And for. Uh, Mike Marbach. And I know you did conservatory. I did conservatory you did with aquarium. Nick aquarium, which was a goddamn which blast. I, I've gone on record. I'm not a huge improv person, mm-hmm. but I love that format. It's a, I, it's, I wish I, I, I had more opportunities to do it because it is yeah. a blast. For those of you who aren't aware of the legendary Fit Conservatory team, the aquarium, um, 
Like, we would go out on stage, and we spent eight weeks just forming these characters. You created two characters. So each performer had two characters, and we would go on stage as one character, and it was all one scene. Mm -hmm. It was like a short play. We would go backstage, change, and become the, uh, like, quick change to the other character, and come out as the other character. And and reintroduce this this new person into the scenario. Like, we all know the characters each other had formed. Like, we all knew what characters we were going to be. But kind of the, the relationships stuff. change. We the, could change the relationships. Yep. So like, oh, today, uh, Julia Hudson's character is my aunt. Oh, today, Nicole Sardella's character is my grandmother. Oh, today, Marsley's character is my brother. Yeah. Um, and it was a blast. I, I love stuff like that. I love stuff like that where you're playing with characters and relationship and narratives. Yeah. Uh, all right, where, did we, where where were we? Wondering? I'm talking about my fit education, and sketch one was with Joe Moore, which was super formative to me. Okay, another thing that I like to ask what, what, when the people go through the classes, mm-hmm. who else would have been in these classes? Oh, my, like, or like let's let's focus on the sketches. Just, like who? My my sketch one hundred one was fucking loaded. Really? All right, Courtney Painter. So Joel, you were in? Okay, so you were in that one. Yeah. That, okay. Courtney, uh, Jolie Darrow. Carolyn Beatty, three people who are now like sketch heavy hitters yeah. in this city. Um, and then an older woman named Risa. There's always an older woman. Uh, <laughs> who had some very Samuel Beckett-esque uh, sketches dealing uh, with her issues with millennials, uh, <laughs> which always made me feel kind of like, oh, Fantastic, because no, you're surrounded by, by millennials yeah. at this point. Uh, and some other uh, people who like kind of fell off, yeah. so that by the end it was mostly like that core five. I, I feel like that's the experience that I've had mm-hmm. with, uh, or at least just like observing the Sketch One Hundred One landscape is that like half the people in the sh- in the class like take it seriously and yeah. want to be a part, and half of them are doing it as a lark. Because I mean, writing and is such it's different than an improv class. Because an improv class, you're on you your just feet. go and have fun for two hours, and there's a whole bunch of papers, practice and learn. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of articles about how improv is good for your business communication and skills and sketch. There's homework and writing is like, tough. It's a real thing. Writing is not easy. No, it's no, it's not. <laughs> not that improv is, but improv there's a diff- there's a have, different degree of difficulty. You can have fun while you're learning. Yeah. Um, there was another question. You were you were mentioning something else that's before I. I was talking about uh how that one on one with Joe Moore was very formative, just because Joe Moore was the first person who like I looked up to who saw my writing and was like, "This is good." Mm-hmm. Aside from an English professor in college, Professor Terman, who uh, I, I was in the unfortunate stance where everyone in the English department loved my writing. Write like plays and stuff, but like my theatrical professors like did not. Hmm. Like that's m- awful. My like I remember my final semester. I like spent months toiling over this play I was writing, and we had like a student done production mm-hmm. every uh, semester, and I you know toiled and toiled over it. I was trying to find someone who wanted to direct it, but everyone was busy, so I was like, I'll direct it myself. Here's the proposal. I want to put it up. And my professor got back to me and was like, this isn't good. This is a bad play. <laughs> uh, and so instead, we let another student, a sophomore, uh, direct David Ives, <laughs> all in the timing, which if you've been to college for theater, is the most generic 
college production <laughs> you could possibly do because everyone does all in the timing and it's which is just like it's basically sketches it's just 10 minute sketches yeah you know which was like a huge hit to whatever ego i had so you what is your experience like what was your first experience performing with fit performing with fit and my very first time on stage at Fit was Sketch Up or Shut Up, and I was so nervous. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was so. Did scared. you do it while you were in class? Yeah. Okay. I was in one one at the time because I kind of think that should be a requirement. Like yeah. I know, I know the time is always like. Yeah. Like I, I always wish that like the sketch kids, the sketch classes, like one of your two shows has to be Sketch mm-hmm. Up, just because it's a different experience than actually absolutely. Shows. And like, yeah, it, there were too many characters. It was a fun concept looking back. Uh, it was called Hemingway High School, and it's just Ernest, Ernest Hemingway's in the high school. There was some rift in space and time. He's in a high school now. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality. And just playing with like high school tropes, but it's Ernest Hemingway responding. And I, I remember. I think I might have been there for probably, that because it yeah. sounds really familiar. Yeah. And I remember people. I remember being on stage and thinking no one liked it. And then Joe, <laughs> very and possible. then like me saying to Joe, eh, I don't think anyone liked it. And Joe being like, are you kidding me? And then playing me the tape and people laughed. And I was like, oh shit, I'm mm. not awful at this. Right. Uh, which I had felt that so first, much. And that first bit of validation. It was the first time where I didn't have to believe in myself 100%. Mm-hmm. I could believe in myself like 90%. And let someone else take it the rest of the way, you know, uh, which is a huge for a writer to hear that this thing you're spending all your time doing yeah. and working on has potential, which is something I never felt uh, during any of my theatrical expeditions in like the world of professional theater, where I very much felt like an outsider because I didn't go to like a local or a nicer college um, I mentioned I, I've I've mentioned this with other people. Like, do you find there's uh, it's not it's not easier for sure, mm-hmm. but is it I'm trying to think of the right adjective? Is writing a short sketch better or worse, easier for you than doing a full play? Like, is there more fulfillment? Like, uh, there's more fulfillment for me in writing a longer play or a full piece. Just because sketches, you're only allowed so much time to explore something. Yeah. And I'm I'm a sucker for narrative. Like I like would stay up late in college reading like film crit Hulk columns on narrative because I was obsessed with narrative structure. Yeah. And I think sketches are great. And I think I certainly try to use them to explore things that I couldn't do with a longer piece. Yeah, the story, the stories that you can tell in sketches aren't going to be as sweeping or as exactly. Um, but I think that if there is material out there that could be a play or a sketch, make it a sketch. Right. Uh, if it can, if it can be a sketch, make it a sketch. Whatever the shortest possible version of something is, make it that. Yeah. Uh, so other than SketchUp or Shut Up, what was your first sketch, for, like actual show? Uh, it was Iron Sketch when that was still happening. Was that table? That was water. You were, oh, so water was your first. Yeah. Because we were in water. Like we were. Oh, you were? I was in water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, cause, so you would have been in Braised Stakes? I was in Braised Stakes okay, with so you were in Courtney Painter, 
uh, directed by Kurt Ridey of High Drama, uh, Pim Van Hoiklem and David Piccolomini. You guys won that that show. We did, which was again like, right? Not not okay. to rub it. That, that's but, like, no, that's it felt, yeah. That's why I thought this because you mentioned doing the internship at Interact, mm-hmm. which is why you couldn't do couldn't the do the second, second one, right? Okay, which so broke I, my heart. Um, with brace stakes and mm-hmm. like I remember, I was too busy getting uh, yelled at for the pants not being dry enough. Totally fair. That's thing to be yelled at. I've if you ever thought. If you never thought someone could say, I just don't trust him washing my jeans <laughs> about you, guess what? That is absolutely a criticism that can be lobbed against you as a human being. <laughs> That's Man. awful. Oh, I know all these Philly theater types are going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh, he's he's burned his bridges. <laughs> I, so many times I would tell people that I was doing stuff at Fit and I would just get this look like, uh, oh, uh, that's right. cute like yeah like a and someone straight up told me oh they got you too like someone who i really respected hmm. was like oh they got you too which like fuck off <laughs> like if no like i get to put up my writing and do these weird high concept shows versus, versus washing your jeans versus versus building scenery having to leave a stage at like 11 taking a a train, a late night train, home to Delco. Yeah. Going up, throwing them in the washer, waiting for them to finish washing, hanging them up so that they hang dry because they cannot go in the dryer. <laughs> Waking up at six in the morning, five hours later, taking those jeans and the other clothes, which I was allowed to dry, in a bag into town so that I could go into the theater early and hang them up and set everything where they're supposed to be lock up the theater, and then walk over to the Barnes & Noble where I was working slightly above minimum wage to afford the internship I was doing, and then come back at five that night to be yelled at for the jeans not being dry enough. Like, why... <laughs> it sounds like theatrical internships are amazing. Why, why <laughs> would I waste... Why would I... Not waste, but why would I spend so much time there when I wanted to perform and write and direct when I was already doing that? You know, I, I, yeah, I would love a career performing, but like, I, I've been likening creativity to a mental disorder recently, (laughs) mostly because a lot of people I know who are creative, like have anxiety or depression, myself included, but like, it's, it's a fucking curse, man. Like that we grow restless and cannot function if we don't have artistic outlets. Yeah. You know, like it's something that we need, you know, but like. Yeah, I had people straight up telling me like that I, I would say, well, like I studied acting, but like I really love writing and I would be interested in directing. And people told me, oh, we don't need another one of you. Well. We don't need another straight white dude who thinks he can do it all in theater. And I was like, yeah, like you're not wrong, but also like, fuck, man, I want to do something different. I, just yeah. I don't want to just do the same thing. I don't want to write another sad white boy play about some dude with a deep, dark secret that's really messing with him and you can't fall in love with me because I'm real messed up inside. And the girl who sees that he's real messed up inside and is like, no, I love you anyway. <laughs> I've seen that play like at least three times and it was garbage every time. Uh. <laughs> oh man, you get me ranting about theater. I do not fucking stop. And I, which is the same because I love theater. I love theater. So much of my comedic writing and output is inspired by theater. You know? 
I love the art. I fucking hate the business. I was going to say, you just haven't had a good experience on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, and there's good people who work in theater. There mm-hmm. are great people who work in theater. I did not meet them during my internship. <laughs> I met like one or two. <laughs> um, I, Iron Sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's get back to the actual <laughs> thing we're here to talk about. What else are you doing to perf- like perform? At, like, the, at the time, I'm on indie improv team where the trees are. Yeah. Um, I think I was very busy and I focused on improv a lot during my first year and not really writing. I, I was still writing, but I didn't really have anyone to put it up with because right. there that's, were no... That's always a problem with sketch is yeah, finding... There were no sketch teams for the longest time until I became sketch producer and was like, we're having new teams that I can't be on. Yeah. And eventually... I started a duo with Gab Tom, Wretched Hive, which lasted for a bit and was a very successful project. Um, I was and still am working with sketch group It's the New. But a lot of stuff I've been putting up has been sort of more high-concept solo projects. Uh, Okay, because we have to talk about Charlie Harley. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Charlie, Charlie Harley was this thing I did in college. That I submitted for Black Friday and got it three in the morning. He's this inept, very Steve Brule-esque acting teacher that I would do for my friends. Mocking one of our actual professors. And I had to extend that bit for 15 minutes. It's usually like a six-minute bit. So I was like, what do I do? Oh, this dude's possessed by Satan. Because I had played Satan in a college production of another student-written piece. And I did that, and everyone was like, oh, shit, you can act. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew you could say lines, but motherfucker, you can act. Because <laughs> I, like, hammed it up. Like, mm-hmm. I was, like, two notches short of Pacino and Devil's Advocate as Satan. I was like, okay, I'll, like, do that thing I know I'm good at that, like, impresses people. And it was sort of my piece that was, like, take me seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, I am going to throw all of myself into this performance I'm going to make something weird. This was also right after Too Many Cooks had come out. Yeah. And I was striving to sort of replicate the Adult Swim 11-minute nightmare That first time I saw Charlie Harley, I was like, this is Adult Swim. Like, this is definitely influenced by that. Oh, absolutely. I wanted to try to replicate that nightmare comedy Mm -hmm. that I love. Like, if there's a favorite movement in comedy for me right now, it's that... And the inclusion of sort of genuinity, I guess. But that whole nightmare satire vibe, I'm so on board with. And I wanted to do that on stage because I hadn't seen anyone else do that on stage. And I did it. And for a crowd of like, God, I want to say like nine or ten at like three in the morning. Yeah. But it felt great because then I had all these people that I really respected being like holy shit like i remember being that, the crowd that was the first year of black, black friday of 14 yeah okay, and because I, I, I saw it last year and there was definitely more than yeah. nine or ten. Oh yeah <laughs> uh, i distinctly remember seeing like jackie baker and like uh goldie from goat rodeo in the audience mm-hmm. and them being like that was amazing and i was like oh oh, cool, oh god nice. yeah <laughs> that's amazing and then i opened for flat earth because brian kelly saw it uh and was like do that again and then i did Another Charlie Harley, I did a Charlie Harley Christmas last year where I should have sort of upped the dramatic stakes of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
played at midnight to a full house, which was bonkers to me. Yeah. If you had told me when I was in college doing it for my friends that I'd be doing that character for a full house, I imagine it's a microcosm of like how Nick Kroll and John Mulaney feel right now yeah. doing Oh Hello. These characters they did 10 years ago. And now they're on now Broadway. Selling out on Broadway. Um, I think selling out. I hope so. I, I, th- I, think, I think they're doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, but now that you're the the uh, the sketch producer here mm-hmm. at well, not here at Fit because I'm not at Fit. Right. Um, uh, I generally ask everyone, and I think I've already we've already hit the why you do comedy mm-hmm. pretty well. Uh, is there something that you've learned from comedy that you would pass on, either a major life life lesson or a like a bone like a bare bones tip for a new sketch writer hmm i think like a a practical writing tip is just uh always introduce the weird thing before you call it out that was a trick i picked up that was always very helpful because it lets you surprise the audience and like get the one up on them you always want to stay a step ahead of the audience right you don't want to leave them in the dust but you always want to be a step ahead of them Mm -hmm. writing for the stage or camera, maybe. I don't know. I do mostly stage stuff. Is all about information. What information you have, what information they have. Mm-hmm. When you're willing to relinquish information, when you're willing to reveal information, you know, uh, which is why like twist endings in movies always work because it's playing on that. Yeah. What the audience thinks they know, what the truth is, when you will show them what the truth is. So always go into a sketch from a practical standpoint on thinking of information, but it's more like kind of life advice that I really learned in sketch. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it isn't good. Right. I fell into this awful pit for a while where I thought I was fucking hot shit and I would hang out with people where like shit talking was like the thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it wasn't until I started like working at fit that I had to kind of accept, like, I'm not some objective truth teller of comedy. I don't... Big Bang Theory is watched by millions of people. And just because it's not my cup of tea, necessarily. Doesn't mean it's not good. And that's true for comedy, that's true for art, that's true for people. You know, there are some people in this world that don't like me for very, very good reasons. (laughs) And instinctively, in the past, I would just not like them back. Right. But like at a certain point you got to be like, you know what? Just because I don't like them doesn't mean they're not, doesn't mean they're not talented. Yeah. You know, doesn't mean they're not a good person. Just because something is not your cup of tea, that the, there's still value to it, which there's value to everything. And the moment you, you, the moment you start deciding that you are in control of what has value and what doesn't, yeah, that is a slippery slope. Yeah. Cause I imagine as, as sketch producer, there's, it's a very hard thing of, um, putting up everything that you like, mm-hmm. but losing the variety of exactly, what possibly yeah. could be. Yeah, if I want to, if I want something on this stage that is in the voice that I like, I'll fucking find a way to put it up myself somewhere. Yeah. You know, but for the most part, you got to give people chances. Yeah, you have to allow yourself to be impressed by someone, whether it's in art or just in interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. All right. That works for me. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you.
This week is the annual Black Friday Comedy Marathon at the Philly Improv Theater, starting at 9 a.m. on Friday, November 25th, going all the way to late Saturday night. Some notable shows include Jack O'Keefe and Charlie Harley's birthday party at 4 a.m. Saturday morning, and then at 12.40 p.m. Saturday afternoon, come see the 48s, the group born out of my appearance on Up All Night a few months ago. Also, if you enjoyed this interview with Jack and would like to learn more about the process of sketch comedy directly from him, you can by taking Sketch 101 at Philly Improv Theater in the first session of 2017. His classes would start Saturday, January 14th, and more information can be found at fitcomedy.com. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at phlsketchfest. Also, for more information about comedy in Philly, head to watercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com and like my first sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.